0: Welcome to this MTech Access podcast. At MTech Access, we offer a complete global market access service from strategy through to implementation. In the UK, all our work is underpinned by authentic NHS insights. Our in house experts work closely with a national network of associates who occupy strategic, operational, and clinical roles within the NHS. Leaders in their field, their knowledge and experience helps and access to be as close to the front line of care delivery as possible. Please subscribe to the podcast or follow our LinkedIn company page for more information. Good Thank afternoon, everybody. Podcast. Welcome to Please the MTEC Access episodes. Words of Wisdom webinar. Like to um, um, I'm Tom Clark, It's great to be NHS back speaking been to we speak another your prominent colleague strategy. from the health and Please social care, Arthur to examine Go. yet another UK. dimension of the future of care. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Stephen Leitner, uh, a GP from my hometown of St. Albans, with a much wider interest in all elements of personalised and population health. Highlights from his impressive CV, Steve's been a National Clinical Lead for Shared Decision Making, a clinical advisor to the National Association of Primary Care, and continues to work as a consultant across many geographical and clinical areas to promote personalized care amongst other things. So in my conversations to date, we've explored much of the policy and theory around the NHS changes. You'll notice we're increasingly getting close to the practicalities of how change will be driven. So today we'll be speaking about population health and how that can become a reality for individual patients. So Steve, welcome. Thank you for joining me today.
1: Thank you, um, John, pleasure. Just,
0: just to kick us off, uh, could you just, for the audience's benefit, uh, describe some of the roles that you occupy at the moment and, and a little bit about the systems that you're working in?
1: Yeah, no, of course. Thank you, Tom. So I'm a practising GP in St Albans. I've just uh... Logged on to my computer here at Parkbury House Surgery, ready for afternoon surgery uh, with a slightly delayed start at uh, at three o'clock. So I'm a salaried GP part time, but I've got a public health background. I was a, a public health consultant for a while uh, before moving into leadership roles at a strategic health authority national level around long-term conditions and shared decision making and pathway redesign, and the like. And I feel really the um, the place I've come to at the moment which is a freelance consultant working for a number of NHS organisations and consulting organisations really uh, firmly in the space of population health management uh, which we'll come on to a discussion of about exactly what that is but I've I've felt not not to sound too trite but I've felt I've sort of come home uh, my career uh, has been you know a mixture of general practice and public health and sometimes those have been uh, felt a bit like parallel streams uh, but I think population health management really brings together the best of public health thinking, clinical practice and thirdly a focus on patient and care experience so so really freelance population health management is my, my thing uh, when I'm not being a, a GP which I will be after this call.
0: Fantastic, we'll make sure we finish on time so we're, we're not holding you back from your patients. So, so, Steve, you talked there a little bit about population health management. What is population health management?
1: It, it's a great question, uh, and I think it's where uh, where it all starts, really. We, we have to sort of define the terms we're speaking about. And I think there's a lot of problems where people conflate or, or confuse population health and population health management. It's, it's easy to do because um, two of the three uh, words are the same. So there's a good definition, um, uh, which you can find on NHS England website. Essentially, population health or public health is about identifying priorities in an area, that could be a country or a local authority or a neighborhood, identifying priorities and interventions that work on a community level. So things like, I suppose, public health intervention, national health interventions uh, that we've grown up with, uh, you know, compulsory wearing of seat belts, smoke-free public places, um, reducing the age or managing when people are able to buy uh, alcohol or tobacco, ensuring access to healthy food, good transportation, education, housing, etc., etc. et cetera. It's population health, public health, I think are the same thing, and they're focusing on um, whole population issues and whole population interventions. Population health management is is really at the cohort level. It's identifying groups of people with similar needs, and that could be, Older people with frailty. It could be working at others with multimorbidity. It could be children with complex needs. It could be people who are at risk of developing long-term conditions like prediabetes and obesity. Uh, but it's working at a sub-population level, um, identifying a priority area, and then after looking at a priority area like multimorbidity or multiple long-term conditions. Then actually using data and analytics to identify a cohort of people with that priority, in order to target them, um, to target them in terms of uh, identifying them for health and care interventions. Um, so literally, somebody would would identify a list of people with a with a with similar problems. And somebody would would call them up or message them and enroll them in a program of care. And that program of care uh, will tend to be a proactive and holistic program of care rather than being reactive or, or disease-specific. You may, though, get to the priority through a disease-specific way, but the intervention uh, in my book anyway should be a, a holistic, personalized, person-centered type of intervention i'll i'll stop there because i could go on but i'll stop
0: for now. <laughs> you'd, you'd make my job very easy um no that that's a, a great oversight steve and and we're going to get into some of the detail of you know the what and the how just you, you touched on sort of public health being at the population level and and population health management uh looking at specific cohorts how does a population health management differ from traditional public health approaches of targeting smoking within pregnant women or or, or other things like that what, what what distinguishes it why why is it different from what's gone before
1: um, well let me think so let's take your example of of targeting uh, pregnant women uh, with with interventions that's going to improve their health and the health of their uh, unborn child which would seem a, a very good thing to do i suppose public health interventions would would be more about identifying preg- every pregnant woman in an area or every that might be as i say the country or a county or a, or a town um and then applying interventions that might be specifically smoking cessation interventions or it might be other interventions i think what population health management would be about would be honing in on that priority perhaps looking at inequalities uh it might be worth if you've not looked at it before the core 20 plus 5 nhs england approach to Uh, targeting those people who are likely to suffer inequalities of health perhaps by virtue of their ethnicity um, or their disability or the other conditions that they have so population health management would sort of hone in and find pregnant women of a certain ethnicity perhaps in a certain area maybe those who have long-term conditions already and I this might be wishful thinking on my part but I would expect with population health management the interventions would would not be just focused focused on the specific intervention like smoking cessation but would be focused on other ways to improve the health and well-being of the pregnant woman uh, and their unborn baby maybe looking at diet and exercise and alcohol intake and caffeine intake and Good mental health, well-being, and support, and all those things, rather than just focusing on a single risk and a single intervention. So narrow in some way, maybe more narrow in focus than public health, but 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 perhaps broader in the way that somebody is supported once they are identified.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Thank you, Steve. Um, so well, with all that in mind, what what do you see as a potential impact of, of health and social care taking a, a population health management approach?
1: Well, I think in short, um, if you're looking at integrated care, coordinated care, uh, it's, it's great to have a focus. Uh, it's great to have a priority. It's great to have something to work on together. So I'm doing a lot of work at the moment a program of work um, for NHS England, led by PA Consulting. I'm working within that consortium for a company called Solid. And we're supporting a number of uh, places across the country. So as you will all know, there's the integrated care systems, at a sort of sub-regional level. I'm working in uh, Hertfordshire and West Essex, for example, as the ICS. The, the place I'm in uh, is, is Heart Valley, which is sort of West Hertfordshire, St Albans, Welling Garden City, Watford, that, that sort of area. Um, and the place is where different provider organisations come together to work together in order to deliver more joined up care for, their, for the residents in that area. And, and some of that particularly comes together in a primary care network. So let's say in, in the primary care network uh, where, where I sit in St. Albans, there are, I think, three primary care networks in St. Albans. Um, what population health management would help bringing together health and, and all elements of healthcare and social care is is by finding a priority, a health need, and a group of people. Who would benefit from the collective assets of that community and are able to deliver joined up care so it's so one quote i often use um when i made up as as I, I do many is is a lot of there's a lot of talk about integrated care but what i think people forget is actually there's a lot of people who, who don't need integrated care there'll be quite a lot of people on my triage list, which I'll get up on my screen in a moment to see what awaits me Um, when Tom's doing more of the talking. It's just so I'm logged on. It can take a while. Uh, There'll be a lot of people actually who don't need integrated care. They're generally well 20-year-old who thinks they might have a urine infection, Um, you know, a a toddler with an upper respiratory tract illness. And really what they need is good access to primary care uh, and a quick call with a clinician that might be a physiotherapist if it's back pain uh could be me if it was sort of undifferentiated demand, they they need quick access to somebody um who cares and and knows some stuff uh, and is able to support them however there'll be a number of people in the population who really need integrated care and highly personalized care and high degrees of continuity for example people at the end of life uh, people with learning disability and other health uh challenges uh, people with a mixture of health and drug and alcohol problems and social problems those are the people who need the collective resources of a local area with health and social care and housing and other agencies working together uh, but we need to find those people and that's what population health management is about in my book it's finding those people who need that integrated care uh, and actually some work i'm doing in Frimley, actually identifying those people so when they call the surgery, and and the red flags up, and that the, there's been a population segmentation, population health management exercise, and there's a flag on the person's notes to say they've got complex needs, and the call handler would try and ensure that that person speaks to somebody who knows them really well. So although mainly population health management is about proactive care and anticipatory care, actually there is a role of population health management to segment the population in order to deliver more personalised care to the individual who's calling, be that they they, they don't really need high degrees of continuity uh, or or they really do need high degrees of continuity and potentially more multidisciplinary approaches.
0: Yeah, okay, that, that's really useful. And I suppose the follow-on to that, you've mentioned both places and, and PCNs um, in, in your your summary there. Do you see that there will be a, a home for population health management, or will that depend on what the particular cohort is, what the particular geography looks like? Is, is it that its place is always going to look after this, or might some things be PCN, might some things even be at an ICS level?
1: So I think, I think it's sort of horses for courses, really. And um, I think all bits of the system have to play a part in population health management. I think population health management is here to stay. I think I think it's reached a stage where everybody is beginning to understand what it is, or most people are beginning to understand what it is. Hopefully, through the next forty-five minutes, we'll, we'll be able to help people's understanding of, of uh, population health management. Um, and and I think people get it as to how it can help us provide a more sort of nuanced health and care service. Um, and I think one of the things that COVID has taught us is that uh, people have very different experiences and outcomes uh, from a from a health threat. So we need population health management, and I suppose during COVID, we saw it in action. We identified people of a certain age who required vaccination in the beginning uh, of, of the pandemic fairly simple population health management, just identifying people by age, but it, it is population health management. And then we got into identifying people not just by age, but by health conditions and disabilities. And then we understood more about the impact of ethnicity. So, so that was real population health management. And, and I think that's accelerated um, future work. Um, so in terms of the, the roles of different bits of the system, so clearly NHS England have got a role in ensuring that um, population health management capability flows through the system at a regional, uh, at a regional at an ICS at a place and at a neighborhood and PCN level. I, I think those is just different functions. I think the ICS has a responsibility to ensure the right data and analytical capability across the system and i think they have a a target i think it's by 2023 they they have to have a patient level linked data set in operation so they're, they're they're about the wiring and the infrastructure and the strategy the the place i think is going to be where the analytics happen where we would do the the segmentation which i can talk a little bit about what that means um the, the restratification, they're kicking out of um i don't really like the term but sort of actionable cohorts of people yeah. that's where the infrastructure of the that the ics has afforded is afforded is used to to do the data and analytics and the segmentation and then i think the the pcn and the neighborhood level is where the care gets delivered uh, and, and at the practice level as well. I mean, some of the care will be at the place level or the neighborhood level, and maybe some of the care, if you are talking about sort of tertiary care, will be at the ICS level. But generally, I'd see it that uh, ICS is about population health management capability, sort of infrastructure, places is about doing the data and the analytics using those tools, and the PCNs within the place and the practices is where the care gets delivered.
0: Yeah, okay, yeah, that's a really nice way to, to categorise it. I suppose that the follow-on from that is it, where does the responsibility or is there any accountability for, for the implementation of these things or, or is that still down to the practice, the PCN to deliver the right level of care or, or does the accountability sit higher with these kind of things?
1: Um, I think the accountability sort of rests across the system in terms of what we're we're talking about. So I suppose the ICSs have the accountability to ensure the infrastructure is there. And I'm sure they'll be held account in the good old traditional way by NHS England and its regional headquarters to ensure that that happens. I'd say the places, and I've done a lot of, I'm doing a lot of work with places at the moment. I just came off a, a call this morning, probably shouldn't say which place it was, but a, a great place up north that are doing really good things. And I suppose they're accountable to ensure that um, they're doing some of the place-based prioritization uh, and they're doing the analytical work and they're uh, identifying the cohorts. And then I suppose the, the primary care clinical directors and the teams in primary care and community care and social care and voluntary sector and community assets will probably um, have the requirement to actually do do the doing. I, 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 think a, I think in a sort of Goldilocks sort of a way, I think probably the place is where most of this is going to happen. You know, the ICSs are probably a bit cold and the PCNs are probably running a bit hot <laughs> and the practices certainly. The place is probably where a lot of the magic is going to happen, and the places are going to. Um, uh, I mean, you could turn it around the other way and say the the ICSs are accountable to the place to have the infrastructure for them to use, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and the places are sort of um, the places are in the way accountable um, to the PCNs to ensure they deliver. Um, the potential for joined up care by ensuring that local organizations uh, work well together.
0: Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's a, all nice and clear. Um, in, in terms of population health management, so we, we've talked a bit about kind of the, the approach in general, I suppose, there. Translating all of that into practice is, is quite another matter, isn't it? Um you've talked a bit about the some of the the things that you're working on at the moment but could you expand on that and um give any more examples of specific things you've been working on uh possibly share a little bit about your your six care models that you've you've um identified for for approaches
1: yeah yeah no thanks for reminding me about the six care models and sorry we can't share a, a screen with you which is probably a bit easier so um so I've come up with 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 six care models. So a, a couple of those are, are reactive. I think I think the first important thing to do is to uh, and I've um I've got a blog out at the moment actually. Well, it's it's not come quite yet. There's one blog I've just done um for a a, a sort of a, a digital workforce platform called lantern uh, which is on their Twitter feed and and mine, which is um at at Steve Leitner. That's about population health management. There's one coming next week that, that's about workflow uh, in in primary care, uh, both very much related to each other. So I think the first thing is is to decide whether you're talking about reactive care, which I'll mainly be doing this this afternoon, uh, responding to calls of people who feel they need to call back from the doctor on the same day because, as I said earlier, they're worried about a urine infection or chest infection or skin infection or injury or whatever. Um, and I think there's two types of reactive care. There's reactive care, uh, and this is what I was talking about earlier, there's reactive care for people who are generally well or, or not, don't have complex needs. They might have one or two long-term conditions, but generally they're okay, their conditions are well-managed. They've either got an exacerbation of a long-term condition, like an exacerbation of asthma, um, or they've got um, or they've got a new condition so they, they might happen to have asthma uh, but they've injured their knee, nothing to do with their asthma okay so so two reactive care models, one for people who aren't complex or don't have complex needs, not needing such high degrees of continuity, the second one for people with complex needs who, who do. And then I think there's there's four proactive care models so there's a proactive care model <coughs> excuse me there's a proactive care model or preventative care so this is identifying people this is population health management in action identifying people who haven't yet got a long-term condition but have identified risk factors for long-term conditions so i could probably go on my EMIS uh, GP system um, and uh, identify thousands of people who we know have obesity or smoking or drug and alcohol problems etc etc and if practices and PCNs were doing real population health management they'd probably be reaching out to those people and offering them support to uh, reduce their risk of future disease by helping them go into smoking cessation services and Weight Watchers and physical activity, walking clubs, et cetera, or, or sometimes all of the above. So proactive preventative care, then proactive care for single long-term conditions, which I suppose is, is disease management really. Proactive care for multiple long-term conditions, which is a, a different approach from just adding up all the long-term conditions somebody has. You don't want somebody going to a asthma clinic one day, uh, and a heart failure clinic another day, and then another day a hypertension clinic. You actually want a, a way of supporting that person and all their needs. And then the fourth and final uh, model proactive care model is for people with complex needs. Uh, and by complex needs, um, I, I developed a, a, a matrix which this these six care models sort of align onto. Um, and essentially the the three by three matrix which i developed with a colleague of mine mark davies from Ebden bridge and uh, national association of primary care says there's there's three big life courses i'll come back by the way to the complex in a moment but there's three big life courses children and young people uh, which probably should be naught to 25 um, and you could argue with um, tom's speaking about pregnant women that it, it should be think about the, the fetus uh, prenatally, but, um, but but not or, or minus so many months until 24 or 25 actually. Also evidence the human brain doesn't mature till at least 25 and people are often still in further education or apprenticeships by then. So children and young people up to say 25, 26 to say 65 or 70 working-age adults and then 65 or 70 plus o- older people. Um, And uh, that doesn't mean that they're they're frail, it just means they're older and they're probably more likely to have a bit more time on their hands, uh, perhaps. Um, But but These are just broad categories. You can't generalize about what people are like in those life courses, but but it's probably quite important to know whether you're you're thinking about a 15 year old, a 50 year old or a 90 year old uh, group of people. and then on the the sort of rows and then the columns are generally well no long-term conditions. Uh, the middle column long-term conditions and the third column is complex needs. And by complex need, needs, I don't just mean a, a sort of morbidity count or long-term condition count. I think people are complex or have complex needs because of the combination of their different needs. So um, somebody with complex needs I would argue would have physical health problem or problems and mental health problem or problems. And it's that combination of physical health problems and mental health problems that causes complexity in their needs and their care, or either physical health problems or mental health problems and a disability. So that's what I mean by uh, complex needs. And the sixth and final care model is the proactive care for people with complex needs. And that's gonna be about care coordination, care navigation, care and support planning, uh, clinical health coaching. Um, That would be very much in the sort of proactive, personalized, anticipatory care. I suppose for that group, we're talking more about tertiary prevention, preventing decline in function, preventing admission to hospital, preventing admission to residential care. In the middle column, we're more talking about secondary prevention and disease management. and In the first column, we're more talking about primary prevention and preventing people developing a long-term condition in the first place. So, clinicians really get interested when we start talking about, okay, well, that's all very interesting, but what are we actually gonna do? And Mm -hmm. and it's saying, well, we we need to think about these different care models the way we support different groups of people in our population different needs you know that's when it gets really interesting so sure. <clears throat> tom tom asked about uh that was a long way of getting to the examples <laughs> so so the first bit i've explained is the, the different care models and a bit about the three by three population health mon- management segmentation model uh, other models are available there's a, a bridges to health model by ADH. i think they produce a model called health span um Optum have probably got another model. Uh, There there are different models um, available, and please do do have a look at those. So, so just give you a couple of examples. One example is work I've done in Frimley and Sussex, which is about segmenting the population and colour coding um, the health records of everybody in the population. So, when somebody calls for help, you know if they're green, no long term conditions, amber, long term conditions, or red. Uh, complex needs, and then that helps you work out how to manage them uh, better. And then the, the the second and last example for now um, would be a model I helped develop in Kenton Medway uh, with a company called Carnal Farrow and we developed what was called the Dorothy model, which was really a frail elderly model or a model for people uh, older older people with frailty. And that was where we got into talking about having a um you know targeting a group of people enrolling them in a program of care and having a a care coordinator a health coach linked social prescribing link workers carer support medication reviews you know etc 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 i think filed coast was a good example in the vanguard program of this sort of program um so yeah so that's a, a couple of examples I'm going to have a, a little bit more of my uh, lunch while Tom <laughs> talk, talks a little bit and and then builds up to, to any more questions.
0: Brilliant. Th- thank you, Steve. And I, I think that, that way of illustrating those uh, the, the, your matrix there is, is really helpful. And hopefully people were able to sketch that out while you were talking. Unfortunately, we haven't got the video. But uh, we might be able to um, share something with people after the event so they can sort of visualize that themselves and, and think about those different groups in those different buckets as a way of how you and your colleagues are, are going to start stratifying things uh, is really helpful. Just thinking in terms of uh, thinking about maybe the Dorothy program as an example where you're looking to coalesce different elements of a system around a particular cohort, the the, the frail elderly in that case. In the past, there's been lots of different ways of looking after groups such as that, um, often done through primary care or, or community services. When it comes to population health management and really getting it to work in a way that is is different and impactful, what do you see as the key enablers for population health management?
1: Yeah, that, that, that's a really good question. And if you don't mind, I'm, I'm in the fortunate position of, of working for quite a few companies at the moment, which which keeps me busy and interested. And if you don't mind, Tom, I'll just mention a, a couple of others uh, yep. who I'm doing other sort of work with. So <clears throat> there's an interesting company called HN, who are a, they used to be called Health Navigator, but everything's in um, initials nowadays. So HN, Clinical Health Coaching Company, and they also do the AI enabled know case case finding. and that is really a a mixture of population segmentation and risk stratification. So it's important to know the difference of of those two things. Um, the three by three matrix that's about segmentation, segmenting people into a, into groups of people with similar needs so at a very high level. So working age adults with complex needs, children, young people who are generally well, Uh, etc etc any combination of the nine boxes so what you might then do is a risk stratification exercise looking for uh, data that suggests somebody is at risk of either an adverse event or an admission so that might be looking at people who have had multiple trips to A&E or multiple hospital admissions or there's other things in the data that tells you you know they're about to decline and the work that HN have done, which is really interesting, and Tom, I'm very happy to share, uh, I think it's a four slide deck that they have. So, two interesting things they found, and this is where, you know, part of the trick of making this work is getting the focus right. Yeah? So, I think some interventions in the NHS have failed in the past, you know, not because the interventions were wrong, but they, they just didn't pick the right group of people. To target so what hn have found and i think this was work in the midlands that five percent of a population were consuming in a year 70 that's seven zero percent of the occupied bed days in the local hospitals so that's a huge Pareto effect five so yeah. percent of the population driving 70 percent seven zero percent of the occupied bed days um i, I stress the numbers just because I, I still <laughs> st- I find it quite staggering that that, that sort of cor- correlation so um, but the other really interesting thing that hn found is that if you take that cohort of high utilizers or super utilizers only i think it's 15 percent of that cohort were still high utilizers the following year So there's a very very powerful regression to the mean effect so you could put in a program without any control group and assuming that the population were pretty static and you would see a big reduction in occupied bed days you know over a year uh, for that cohort and you'd assume it was your intervention whereas it might well be just that, that you know things got better Uh, anyway because often things do do settle down and then you know get bad again a a time later so i think i think population health management needs to be dynamic like we're talking about you know live data so data that's sort of updated daily uh, and using that data to drive care and interventions rather than sort of historical data and then i think the other trick is Seeing it as a a service for the cohort rather than a rather than a service for everybody. So some of the real struggles I've, I've had previously is when you talk about this model and the benefits that it would provide in terms of discharge support, uh, admission avoidance, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and you said you know these are the interventions we're going to target on this cohort of you 375 people, and people say, ah, oh, but there'll be these other people who could also benefit from those services. Can't, can't we just expand it? Can't we just allow people to refer to that service if they find somebody? So it's it's really being um, very driven and unapologetic in your focus and maintaining that focus. And then rather than saying for that population, they're gonna have a bit of this and a bit of that and a bit of the other, uh, no, it's it, this is the team of people who will be looking after a cohort and they sort of take off their organizational name badge and they're working for the um, the uh, Margate frailty service Not the hospital trust or the community trust or the primary care. So it's it's really getting that focus and and, and that's a challenge and and the the challenge is a lot of healthcare professionals want to do a bit of everything uh, and that's fine um, and it's not suggesting somebody's going to be in the Margate frailty service as a provider forever but 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 it might be that we need some people to um, to perhaps be a gp a generalist but, but focus in on a particular cohort of people for, for a yeah. period of time rather than doing a bit of everything
0: yeah okay thank you and I, I suppose you've pulled out two two enablers there is data and workforce and both things that the nhs in particular has struggled with historically coming back to data first of all what what kind of data are used or available to support po- population health management where are the main gaps
1: well that's a great question um thank you tom <laughs> so i suppose the nirvana for, for population health management people. I'm not really a a data person, but I was on call with a good colleague of mine from, from SOLIS and PA, Chuck called Paul Molyneux, who introduced himself as the as the chap with a pointy hat. Um, so, you know, we need really clever sort of data analytical people. And um, the nirvana for, for Paul and his colleagues, and I suppose a bit for myself, would be a patient level linked data set so for mr smith in st albans you would have data from at an individual level from primary care community care mental health care hospital care um, local authority social care you know, police um, etc cetera, etc cetera. As, as much data as you could possibly get on that individual and you'd know what sort of house they lived in um you know uh, in, in in a perhaps a brave new world maybe a bit 1984 orwellian type world with permission you, you'd perhaps know what their daily step count was so oh, yeah. um the the best you know the the data at an individual level across all providers of care but also bringing in, which I've really not talked about enough today, <clears throat> sort of data on their social determinants of health. As I say, mm-hmm. what sort of area they live in, which you can get from the postcode, what sort of house they live in, there's some data called Mosaic, where you might be able to get that. Um, in some areas they're able to, to focus in on older people with vulnerability because they know they've got an assisted bin collection. Somebody comes in, takes their bin out to the side of the house onto the road because they're unable to do it and that data sort of data could enable you to target so as much data as possible on each individual uh, is the data that is required for population health management having said all of that i think you could do more than enough with just primary care data
0: yeah okay that's that. that that's interesting because I think, yeah, I mean, often the conversations that we have are around getting that wealth of, of everything else in there, particularly the social, uh, or, or social determinants, the social care data. But understanding that actually you think there's enough in, in primary care data is actually a, a kind of a, a real sense check on… Yeah where we are now and and actually i suppose it's a case of what can we do with what's available rather than waiting for for a person yeah exactly and and if
1: i were to pick any bit of data i'd pick primary care i mean we know if somebody has long-term conditions which they have particularly the quaff ones because gps are in are incentivized for that we often know a lot of lifestyle data um ethnicity data whether they're a carer or not and we actually have quite a lot of data about whether they, you know, in a family where there's been a child in need um, or or if they're a looked after child or, you know, just just um, it, it's got a huge amount of data uh, about the individual. If we could just tap into that, um, just, just to be slightly downbeat for a moment, uh, which hasn't been my style to date in this uh, this webinar and normally isn't. Uh, there's some areas I go to where there's not even a data sharing arrangement between the practices mm-hmm. and the primary care network so so that's a problem yeah, uh, okay. but it's not an insurmountable problem.
0: Yeah and that's, that's another really good illustration of, of just the variation and the challenge that there isn't a one-size-fits-all and, and it's going to be a long time before there is I suppose. Uh, while, while we're on uh, the subject of data, Um, obviously that's kind of the back end of it what data have you got think about the other end of the scale what role do you see technology playing in in population health management in terms of um, sort of remote monitoring other sort of supported technologies that that patients and and people might be able to to use do you see a role for technology
1: oh definitely Um, and I think again it, it depends on the, the cohort that you're focus, focusing in on as to how that technology could help so just to think across the different degrees of complexity you know if you're talking about primary prevention i mean i said about the step count um you know slightly jokingly but if you were going to support somebody to uh, you know improve their physical activity as well as having a um, a good local walk to boost them to, maybe supported if they needed it, uh, maybe with other people because of the social benefit of it. Um, actually, having a step counter would be really helpful, and uh, maybe some people would benefit from uh, some support for calorie counting, um, monitoring their alcohol intake. Uh, maybe if they're they're, they're not. Got a mental health diagnosis but they're feeling quite stressed maybe some some calm acts might be helpful so in terms of and that's i suppose in more of a sort of wellness or health and well-being arena uh, another company i'm working for uh, is a company called aid A I D E that is, they're developing an app for people with long-term conditions to um, improve their self-care um tom i think you're aware of their work and mm-hmm. and, I, and i think uh, again uh, other self-management tools will be available um but but, but i'm just illustrating it that, that, that there are developments in tools to allow people with one or more long-term conditions to um enable them to better self-management make sure they don't forget their medication give them information about their condition got asthma tell them when the pollen kites pollen count is particularly high or there's high levels of pollution and then when you get into you know more of the older frailty or not necessarily older but just frail population you know alarms tools to help people keep connected uh, so i have regular well myself and my brother and sister have regular whatsapp calls uh well more messages um with my mum who's 86 and you know uses uh, WhatsApp and text um, you know really well to to stay connected we don't have to speak all the time Um, um, and you know there'll be lots of digital tools if somebody has a hearing impairment a visual impairment Um, so you know technology has completely revolutionized our lives hasn't it and uh, of course technology is going to have a bigger and bigger role in helping people um you know with different sorts of needs yeah good stuff
0: thanks thanks steve Um, the the other enabler that you talked about was kind of the workforce um in terms of kind of these new roles and and certain roles being seen in different ways maybe people performing different functions what have you seen as a response from the workforce to taking different approaches
1: It's really interesting isn't it and I, and i'm uh, I was on a call the other day part of our national population health management work and they were talking about uh, infrastructure uh, and it sort of dawned on me while I was reading through the papers on my training uh, first train rides for work i've I've had for a while which was which was really nice. I was thinking that the most important infrastructure is is the culture so we shouldn't underestimate how important culture is for this. And it's it's a bit counter-cultural for a lot of people to prioritize on a a certain area of health need, because uh, particularly if you're a GP, uh, you're used to trying to do everything for everybody and not not prioritizing. So so, um, prioritizing is really difficult. The other barrier I mentioned is, A lot of the workforce when you first talk to them want to do a a bit of everything and they want to try and provide continuity for everybody um so when you start talking about identifying some people who maybe don't need continuity so much and let's focus our scarce continuity resources on maybe towards the right hand side of that three by three uh, people start getting a bit challenging however I did a really interesting exercise in a practice in Watford I was supporting, where I, it suddenly dawned on me that as well as segmenting the population, let's let's segment the workforce. And so what I what I did is I sent out a questionnaire to all the partners of this newly merged practice. I think there were about 16 partners, and I I applied my sort of six care models. I probably put in a a few extra ones like contraception and um, and other things. And I said, of all these areas, you know, just list your your top three or four areas that you'd like to spend more time on. And interestingly, what came back was a complete spread of interest. Mm. So I said, look, one of the advantages of population health management is you could do a little bit more, you could do more of what you like doing. So if like me, your interest is, you know, urgent care, acute care, same day demand. No, I mainly do triage, telephone triage and see people with acute health needs. There'll be other people in the practice who I know don't like that so much and they'd rather do the ongoing follow-up of people with complex needs or long-term condition management, other people more in the health and wellbeing interest area. So I think actually population health management could unlock some of the workforce by allowing them to, to focus in on doing more of what they like. They're still being a GP, I tell them, even if you're mainly focused on frail elderly, you're still being an expert generalist. You know, you're just doing more of what you like and providing great continuity to that group of people.
0: Yeah. that That's a fascinating reflection. I suppose it's, it's a good one for our audience when thinking about how how certain conditions certain patient populations are being managed, that it, it, it's not just about the, the name badge or the role that people are performing, but it's it's much more than that. It's how do you find the people with with an interest or, or who are really going to engage in in looking after a particular yeah. cohort, isn't it? The, the yeah, other and thing- I suppose know, we've seen
1: people getting interested in like, you know, vaccinations. Some GPs decided to spend a lot of time doing that. And there was a, just quickly wanted, before I forget, Tom, to mention, there was a practice I spoke to in Newham, and, and they do a lot of digital and telephone triage. And um, one of their members of staff moved from Newham to Scotland, uh, but still continued to work for the practice remotely. <laughs> yeah. So that's where you know technology will enable people to to, to work you know outside of their geographical area. With uh, we you know, but but maybe then focusing more on the sort of obviously on the on the remote side of things, because they were in Scotland and the patients were in new. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, yeah certainly a new world we're living in. The the last thing I wanted to touch on, and we're going to finish a few minutes early to to let you get your clinical head on. But um, I think one of one of the challenges for our our audience, particularly those working in industry, is how these population health approaches, which look very or they are, you know, a big dive deviation away from traditional sort of clinical ways of managing particular cohorts, kind of how people from industry, are, are the companies that we work with, might engage in it and support it and make a difference when actually a lot of what's talked about is maybe housing, transport, those sorts of things. Where do you see the opportunities for industry to engage with and support population health management?
1: That's a a really good question, probably the hardest one uh, of the afternoon, and it's been a a great discussion, I've really enjoyed it. Um, So unless I'm wrong, and Tom, you could correct me here, um, because maybe you're thinking about different types of industry more than I am, but I suppose where an industry is disease-specific, uh, so say focusing on diabetes or or COPD, uh, and it's something when I've talked to pharma pharmaceutical companies previously and done some work for them, you know they they have talked over the years quite a lot about sort of value add services. Um, so rather than uh, just providing the medicine, actually providing some of the wraparound support, maybe getting into those apps that I talked about. Maybe getting into more clinical health coaching uh, that I mentioned. So, and, and uh, so I'm not suggesting a let's say a pharmaceutical supplier of insulin would would be getting into uh, the remit of, of helping somebody with with the other long term conditions they suffer from when they when they're not in that space. However, the person's insulin management requires a lot more than insulin um, it requires uh, maybe some devices around that but but also support whether that be from a diabetes and a specialist or a or more the sort of generic long-term condition management that a health coach would provide um, so i think that's my first thought but i but i think population health management is a way in you know and if you find an area through its population health management priorities Is focusing on uh, areas that you cover and that's a really important way in Um, and you might even be able to provide some of the uh, tools and techniques for population health management itself the other bit if we're talking about industry in terms of devices and technology uh, then I think there's 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 perhaps perhaps so a more obvious read across in terms of some of that more holistic support that people are gonna need.
0: Yeah, okay, thank you. So I, I suppose the message there is to, to think about groups of patients in, in more holistic ways and not just how do, how do they use this technology, be that a medicine or device, it, it's what do they need to enable them to, to live a better life and how do they almost maximize the, the outcomes or of, of using this particular technology?
1: Yeah, I think, I think that's right. So some of it is about the diseases that people have. It's not, not that it's not important to think about the diseases they have, but, but in a like a sort of onion skin approach, we think about the disease, the treatments, the other things that need to go along with the treatment, uh, the support that is required, also treatment for the other conditions that the person has uh, and the other types of support they might need to deliver um, uh, a healthy and productive and happy life with, with those conditions and challenges that they have.
0: Fantastic. Thank you very much, Steve. Um, we'll we'll My call pleasure. it to close to let you uh, get into to clinical mode. So yeah, thanks again for um, coming by to speak with me this afternoon. Uh, thanks to everyone listening at home. Um, If there's anything that's cropped up today that you want to find out more about or or want to understand what it means for you, please do get in touch with us, info at mtechaccess.co.uk. Anything to do with your your market access strategies, how you're you're realising that, how you're uh, engaging with the NHS around these things, please do do get in touch. Uh, We're in the process of finalising our our next guest for the next uh, webinar, so please look out for the invite for that for the next couple of weeks. And uh, we will see you next time time thank you very much
1: wonderful thanks Tom bye everyone have a good day and a good weekend bye